Today on Marketing Instagram, we have a very special guest. We are joined by Ben Tossel, who runs the Daily AI Newsletter. He's going to be deep diving with us all about the next generation of AI that we are playing with today, which is GPT-3 Chat from OpenAI. I am your host, Kit Bonder. I am joined as always by my co-host, Kieran Flanagan. Let's get right to today's show. Before we get back to today's show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part at least, it brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs and a full 360 view of every customer. So your go-to-market team can keep up on the pulse of accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means? Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. This week, we have a really incredible episode. We have Ben Tosselon, who does the number one AI newsletter, in my opinion, Ben's Bytes. He sold his company, MakerPad, to Zapier and is going to tell us all about the things happening in AI this week. Ben, welcome to Marketing Against the Green. Thank you for having me. So let's start. What the hell is going on? <laughs> I've spent the last two days playing with OpenAI's new chat GPT. That is one of the things we definitely want to talk about. You had a really great thread on Twitter. Blew up, has over 10,000 likes, lots of engagement. I spent my first couple of hours trying to get it to help me break into my neighbor's house, which I actually thought was like, oh, it's never going to do this. And now I've realized that people have figured out like how to turn off its ethics filter. And so you can actually do those things. But then why don't you just tell our audience what happened this week? What are you excited by? And like, how big of a thing is this? Because sometimes we get carried away with ourselves and trying to get a, like a degree of like, is this big? Is it small? How impactful is this going to be? Yeah, well, first, at the start of this week, DaVinci 003 was released. So that's an improvement on their DaVinci 002, which is what most people have been using. And I basically, I tweeted about that and said that essentially every app that was built on GPT-3 got a software update overnight. So things like Copy AI, Jasper, and things like that would use GPT-3 with the DaVinci 002 model. And then now that's been upgraded. Things have got better. There's better responses. The prompting is a bit easier and things like that. So that was the, well, what we didn't know at the time, the smallest thing that was going to happen. This yeah. week. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah, chat GPT for us came out two days ago now on the 30th of November, I think. And it just feels like one of those moments where everyone, the whole world's gone, oh, <laughs> what does it mean yeah. for everything? And in the thread, I just highlight all the cool things other people are doing. And then I'm getting the praise for like bringing that to people's attention, which is a great position to be in. I, at the start of the week, I think people were getting a little confused on the DaVinci update where they were saying that this is GPT-4 
did upgrade between three or four. Maybe can you just like clarify that? Because I saw like a lot of tweets saying, oh, like we're going from three to four, four is going to be revolutionary. And then some people say, no, that's not the update. It's really the DaVinci update. And what is the difference between those things? So DaVinci 003 is not GPT-4, but GPT-4 is the new big model that's supposed to do so much more than what we can currently do with AI. And that's, I think it's supposed to be between sort of now, anytime now and February is supposed to be the release. Okay. And everyone's assuming because of the conference near IPS, I think that's how you say it, that's going on this week. So everyone was thinking, oh, are OpenAI going to reveal it then? So DaVinci was just like an improvement on their current model. So it was sort of, is this 3? Is this 3.5? Is this 4? It's not 4. It's kind of more 3.5. And then chat GPT came out and everyone's like, oh, this feels more like what GPT-4 is going to be like. And they could turn around and say, yes, this was GPT-4. We sort of threw you off a bit, but it's hard to fathom that things are going to be even bigger and better (laughs) in the next like month or whatever. I think hopefully not because I'm trying to still figure out what my life is (laughs) with these updates. So maybe you could start with just based on playing around with the new chat GPT, which is OpenAI's like AI assistant, like a bot that you can basically ask to do all sorts of things. What are some of the most interesting use cases that were things that you were like, this is way better than I thought it would be. This is like, this is game changing versus, because we've had some of these AI tools for a while, but what are some of the things that you saw where you were like, oh wow, this completely changes the way that I view this stuff? One of the big pieces of using AI is the interface of actually using it. So if you go to Jasper or any of these writing tools, you're sort of writing in a text document and you're trying to get the AI to then generate things. Sometimes it can feel a bit clunky if you're trying to generate something just from your head. But if you're having a conversation with something, I guess, that almost feels like it's an easier, oh, follow-up question. Oh, what happened here? And and chat GPT can remember what's happened in the thread. So you can just have a continuous conversation that then builds on the last piece. And a few things that I've seen, like even where you say, right, I want to write a blog post on insert topic here. And then you say, write a outline of all the sections it needs to have. Lots of the current writing tools can do that now, but this just feels like another level because that would then give you the outline. You say, okay, great. That looks good. Can you write the first section for me and put it in Markdown? Because I'm going to use that when I put it over to my tool. It'll start writing that. And then you say, oh, actually, can you rewrite that section and just don't mention this thing? And it'll do that for you. And then you say, okay, great. Move on to the next section. Move on to the next one. Can you add a code snippet here? Can you add so-and-so here? Like you can do lots of that stuff. You can say, give me sort of a, a numbered list here. So that was just much better than I've seen and used in other writing tools. It just like added something extra that was like, oh, I could write quite easily in that flow. And it's a much more, you know, just felt more in the moment. So that's one. Yeah, just on that point, because I think it's a really important point, which is one of the things that really struck me in terms of trying to parallel the way that I asked the AI assistant through chat to give me content and the way I would ask Google is exactly what you said you can refine your asks much quicker and much better. And so like a good example is I was comparing and contrast and just like really general questions. And so I said, hey, like give me some marketing tactics that I can use for a small business of a certain size that doesn't require any marketing budget. And it listed that like some pretty generic stuff. Like, but if you search in Google, you're gonna have pretty generic stuff. And one of them was influencer marketing. And then I said, okay, talk to me about the do's and don'ts of influencer marketing. And I kept refining to the point that I asked the AI, could you write me an outreach email so I can reach out to these influencers and convince them to actually work with me? 
And it's that refinement that is like much better than the Google search experience. The work doesn't feel like it's on you. Whereas if you're using Google, the work is on you to go yeah. and find the stuff, collate it, put it together, refine it and do all of that stuff. And people are lazy. People don't want to do the work. Right. And I, I'm the same. I think when you're in that flow of I'm currently writing and then it's going back and forth and the AI is writing for you and you're refining, you're tweaking, I actually want to reach out to these salespeople like what would be a good opener for these kinds of people in this kind of background and this kind of whatever. I think just that whole user interface of it is a massive, massive improvement on what we've currently seen. It does not lend itself to Google's current monetization model. Like at the moment, there's this kind of awkward relationship between Google and publishers. Like we give you your content and you give us some traffic back. Whereas OpenAI, it's somewhat changed that relationship completely. I don't know how this is going to work long-term, which is we give you our content, you learn from that, give us the answers, but you don't really give us anything in return because I'm not going to get traffic of that. I get no really brand visibility of that. One of the things I started doing, whenever I asked it a question, I would ask it to cite its resources that backed up its claims so I could see like the articles maybe it was pulling from. But do you just think that's like technology is way ahead of copyright laws at the moment? Because how do publishers get any value from that long-term. Like if this kind of experience becomes the search experience of choice, it's still somewhat reliant on publishers publishing some of that content so it can learn from, but there's no payback for publishers in the same way there is for Google. Yeah, it's a difficult topic, I think, because I can fully imagine the future is an address bar that you start typing something into, it finishes off the sentence for you, and then it actually just finds the best information for you there, summarizes it and gives it to you in that moment. It doesn't send right. you go to this link, view this blog post by this person and do that thing. And actually it was Paul Buchheit who, he did a tweet that was like, this is what I think the future of search will be like, is that address bar, it'll finish it off and all of that stuff. So the problem is Google's gotten in its own way a bit because none of us like Google search. Like none of us actually like the experience of what we no. have to do to go and find the thing. And even Google knows that to an extent and it can't completely change its Google search the way it works because that's their monetization model. Like that's where they right. get all their ad revenue from. So you search something, you want the link. You want the link. What is the top female investor? You want the link to go to that person's Wikipedia or their personal site. You don't want to go, okay, here's a list of results that have lists of female investors. So I'm now going into each of those and trying to do the research myself. I think it's going to be interesting, but I don't know. And hopefully it actually means that writing for writing's sake to get traffic kind of goes away and it changes to be just useful information. And Google does this a bit with, like, you can see the listicles that they sort of promote at the top of the search result. Now, if you search for something like how to build an app or whatever, it's something like that. It'll show you it like sort of a semi-extended abstract of a blog post. You don't need to go into the right. blog post to do that. It'll sort of give you a list there, which is kind of going this direction, but it is, is hoping that you're then going to go and view that link. And people might still, if the link is, like you said, with the source, it says this information was pulled from this link and yeah. that link. You can then go and do more of that research. The reason someone writes that article that these models can learn from or use is because there's the payback. I just wonder, like, why would I even bother? And then if I don't bother, how do they work long-term? They're still somewhat relying on the publishers, but Google's model has payback for the publishers. But if there's no payback for the publishers, then why even do it? And I agree. I think part of the problem is there's going to be better monetization models for this tool in that's not ads, but ads is probably the most profitable monetization model. So I don't know how Google uh, navigates that. One of the other ones, I know I'm kind of being a really bad host because I asked for the things that you thought were most impactful, but one I want to kind of just get to real fast because I saw you tweeting about this as well. The one that really started to blow my mind was coding. People just write in 
like you know, Paki who does not born asking it to write a whole app that he could just like take the code and use. Like, was that incredible for you? Or did you find that like pretty unbelievable? Or is this a known thing that it can code that easily through AI? Yeah, well, I don't code. So something like this is interesting for me because I never have been able to learn how to code. So I'm like, where do I start? All right, right, where do I put that piece of code? What is this file? Where do I put this? Like, what's my terminal? Like Those things you could ask in line to chat GPT as you're learning to code. So I think that is really incredible. But I did use Codex, which is another model from OpenAI, which just write in plain English. It will generate code for you. So you say, I want a web page with a form. In that form, I want an input field. And then I want a button that says submit. The input field needs to take an email address. And then when this happens, when they click the button, this thing pops up. Like you can do that by writing in plain English, it will generate the code and it'll actually generate the app in front of you, which I already saw that. So I was assuming that that kind of stuff is going to come back up and resurface in another model, which it now has. And there's plenty of examples of people using code this way. So yeah, Packy's example was, I want to build a web app. I think it was an AI web app, like on a, yeah. an AI summary app. So then ChatGPT generated the code and then a few bits of code that you literally click, copy, and then you went to Replit, which is like a in-browser coding environment. You can literally just copy, paste, submit. Oh, I'm getting this bug. You put that in the conversation saying, I'm getting this bug. What do I need to do? And then it says, oh, you need to change this to this. And then if you're saying, oh, actually, I don't want to like have cookies or something on the site. If you didn't want to do something, you could say that. And it would say, okay, take this line out of the code. So your new code should look like this. Like it's just constantly iterating on things. I'm actually, I've hired someone to try and do a really good tutorial of this, which is, can you build a website purely using chat GPT and Replit, not knowing any code and literally typing in English, copying and pasting, can you build an app? And before I got that tutorial back, Paki did that and I saw all these people doing that. So the answer is yes. Because what it means is the biggest barrier for most people becoming builders, like there's probably a, like you don't code. I actually did computer science at university. That's what I did. And I coded really badly and then give up because it was too hard. And so I don't code either, but I would love to have be able to build things. But the biggest barrier to doing that for a lot of people is the ability to actually code or learn the language. And so it feels like a lot of what AI is going to help do is unlock people's creativity because the barrier from going from creative idea to actual final product is not going to be the tool in anymore. And I think that part is going to be pretty unbelievable in terms of how we see like the evolution of all this. Like what happens when we unlock all of these kind of creative ideas that people have, but have never been able to put into practice because they haven't been able to learn the tooling or haven't been able to learn the software. I think it's pretty important, actually. Like I founded a company called MakerPad and that's what I sold to Zapier and that is still running now. And that was no code education. It was basically... Right. Because I couldn't code, I figured out that you could use tools like Webflow and Zapier and Airtable, stitch them together and build a membership site, for example. Now, the reason I did that is because I tried to code, always hit the barrier of, I just can't, my brain is not like, I can't understand this. I can't write all this stuff and then wait ages and see something come up and be like, right, I've got to go back to it. Is it that function? Is it that line? I can see a website. I can see where a button is. I can see how to round the corner. I can see how to like move it around and it should be point and click. So that's what no code brought to us. And it really became a big, big thing over the last few years. And then now there's this. So I think there's like an evolution of coding, no coding. I don't know what the word is now. It's just you write it and then it can be generated for you. And I think that that is huge. Yeah. Text the code. Yeah. Text the code. And it's also about like the learning, the education piece of that. 
and education as a whole, really. You can reverse engineer an app or like you can write these things and try and figure it out. And you can basically just put those screenshots into a tutorial and say like, enter this into chat GPT and then that will generate this code, then copy that to this. It's just, you can do so much with this and I just think it's going to be really, really powerful. And yeah, like you said, unlocking everyone's ability to do that is just a whole new wave of entrepreneurs being able to build stuff. One thing I added, I've got a little like Ben's thesis note. I can fully imagine a future where all internal tools are built by yourself for yourself. So if I wanted Mm. a Chrome extension that made sure certain emails from certain people never got into my inbox or whatever, just something silly like that. I could literally type that and say, hey, I'd like a Chrome extension that does this. Tell me how to install it. Tell me how to unpack it and tell me how to like run it on my machine locally. And instead of me going and trying 10, 30 different tools and paying $10 a month for each and forgetting to cancel them and all of that sort of faff that you have to get to, in the time that it would take me to sign up for one tool, I could probably build that myself Obviously, at the moment, there's still code involved. You have to copy it and deploy it and all of that stuff. But I can fully see a future where you are just typing these things. The code's being created for you and you can install that internal tool. It's literally an audience of one built by yourself for the exact use case that you have. Yeah, you'll build your own tech stack. One of the other things that is kind of mind blowing if we think about where we've gone, like, okay, maybe a replacement for search allows everyone to be a builder because it really reduces the complexity of the code to just being able to like think of the thing, write the thing, get the code. The other one, I don't know if you've seen it. You probably have seen it, Ben, because you have your your newsletter. I find a lot of my stuff actually in your newsletter. But one of the products that is really mind blowing is Adept AI, which is like an AI overlay onto all software. I never had to have to use the software Again, like it's removing the barrier of having to learn to do any of this stuff. And now all you need is the idea to do that stuff. Have you seen that? Like it's a Chrome extension that sits on products and you can just type in what you want the product to do and it will do that thing. Yeah, exactly. And I I mean, that is one really big, like obvious example of it, which is, hey, go find all these people, go and enrich them with Clearbit and then go and send them a mass email with whatever you think is the best email to get to those people to convince them of insert topic. Like that could happen with something like this. But even that is another thing to have on a site. You could just sit there with ChatGPT in the future and just type it and not even be anywhere else. The thing I get about these tools, it needs to be in front of you. It needs to be where you are. It can't be, oh, let me go and open that app or let me open my menu bar or things like that. It needs to be really like in your flow to be able to be really effective. And Adept, I think, is a really, really... Like I'm waiting to get off that wait list. I'm sure like everyone else yeah, is. And yeah. I think Same I've signed here. up a few times now, so I'm yeah. worried I'm even further down. But yeah, yeah I, I really want to give it a go because that kind of thing, I it just think it just seems obvious. It seems like if you can tell me exactly what to do and how to do it, I just want to say, okay, do it then. Like, yeah. don't do it. If you can do all these things. And maybe that's something that GPT-4 might unlock for us. We'll have to wait, I suppose. Yeah. You know, Ben, following up to the ADEPT conversation, what I wanted to jump in with actually was, how do you think things like the GPT-3 chat and everything are going to impact design? I was thinking a lot about like website design. You're talking about, hey, somebody could just come and have this chat interface on a website. It's like, how much of a website do you actually need then? If I could just ask this thing, how much this thing costs? And does it work for Mm. companies like me? All of these things, like, how does it fundamentally change in your mind what a website may look like or be in the future? That's a good question because I first thought you were going to just say like the actual design of the website because I saw someone using Midjourney to like generate these landing page examples and they were all 
looked like all of the landing pages at the moment. But yeah, I mean, you could literally see that like there's no need for scrolling. It's just like an input yes. field, like a search box on every site. It has like a tagline that says, we do this, speak. <laughs> like it could generally be like that. And I don't know at what extent and when that may happen, if it will happen, but it does feel like a pretty big thing to be considering. And like I was saying is you might not even need to go on a website to find out the tool. Like you could just build the tool yourself by like conversing with chat GPT and say, I want a tool that does this. Can you get the code and install it on my machine for me and just set it up? You might not need to go to these sites to say, oh, I want to sign up for Buffer or whatever these tools are. So, so I think there are a couple of things interesting in there that I would unpack, which is like, the first of all, you're talking about like consolidating the whole buying experience, right? right? Where you have all these stages where it's like, oh, I go do some research. Then I figure out what I'm going to buy and then I go and set it up. You're like, oh, maybe there's a day where AI will do all of that for you. And at that point, the, the second weird thing is that AI becomes the purchasing decision maker, not the human, right? Yeah. Because you're like, oh, I need to solve this problem. And either AI comes back and says, you should do this or you should do one of these three or some kind of subset of things. You think we're ever going to get to a point like that? I'd love to not have to book a call or book a demo to find an enterprise pricing plan. So totally, maybe, right? uh, well, yeah, like that sort of stuff feels just it should be searchable i mean i think we will get to that to be honest but i, I can't even imagine the rest of the world and all the knock-on effects of that kind yes, of internet yes. experience and that's that's what i struggle with to say yeah like websites will be like this because then i can't imagine oh, all the other ones are now redundant is that really what we're doing or will they upgrade will they all go to that i can't recommend something at the moment anyway and i don't see how it can change. Like, let's say I say, what's the best? I was trying to ask it, what's the best scheduling tool? And it's like, no, I'm an AI tool. I'm not going to recommend the best one, but here are some ones. And it will still give me like five. And then I asked like, how did you get come up with these five? And I couldn't really figure out because it doesn't have access to like user reviews at the moment. It doesn't have access to like reviews or recommendations because in a world where it starts to recommend the only one, like if you only have yes. one then I don't think that's a great result for anyone. <laughs> no, let me try something on both of you and see if you buy it or you don't buy it, which is like today, the content and information we put out as companies is primarily for humans, secondarily for machines, right? It's like, cool, we build this great website for our customers. Then we make sure it's indexable by Google and it can be discovered by the current kind of technical infrastructure. Do you think in the future, there's a chance that we could flop that? right? Where the, you know, the majority of content we create is machine first, customer second. You, ben, you were kind of getting at that where it's like, oh, it's going to incentivize people to have a lot more transparency and public information to feed AI, feed the models. Or do you think that is just like crazy talk and we're still going to be human first versus machine first in, in like kind of the content we're creating? Well, we'll always be human first. I think we've, we will always have that on our side. But <laughs> I hope. I, yeah, I hope too. Um, <laughs> The thing about AI stuff is you're saying about like a product being recommended and it being the only product, it would probably be the only product that would work for you. It will start learning what you like and what yeah. you're mm -hmm. willing to spend and how you like to spend your days if your meetings are full and you had need like new podcast equipment or stuff like that. I think it would learn from, oh, podcasts similar to what you run. They seem to talk about the Shure mic or the Blue mic or whatever it is. Like I could see a world where that is happening. And I think this is true for all AI where everyone's scared that AI will take over everything. It's going to be like a, a sandwich. There's an article, I need to remember the name of it, that was really good. I put it on the email, I think yesterday. And it's like, we're all sort of going to become directors where we start the input with a creative thought. And then AI does all the work, finds the reviews, writes the blog posts, whatever it is. And then we go in and refine the bits at the end and say, 
oh, actually, I don't really want to spend £50 mm-hmm. pounds on that. I'd rather spend £200 pounds on that. Or, no, I need it today, not tomorrow. Like, anything like that. I assume there's always going to be a touch point of human, AI, human. And that will probably be the interface. Well, that's what I can imagine is the interface of, way, of how we work with this. And the AI will learn things and recommend things and all of that, I'm sure. The, the thing I am most scared of for everybody watching is that AI slows down human change. Like if you just keep getting fed things you like, then you don't know like how to evolve and change as much. Like I don't want humans to get too comfortable or too set in their ways of like, oh, I like these things and I just get more and more of the stuff we like. Because that seems like a terrible existence for like society. I don't know. Like I'm way more scared of that than AI taking over the world. That's actually why I said, I don't think it being able to recommend you the one thing is a good thing. It's not. I I think discovery for humans is an important aspect of like learning, trying new things. It's a really important thing for having, I think, a vibrant business ecosystem where you can discover new products that you never even knew you wanted or new products that you didn't know existed. It feels like this is monumental. You're kind of like, what the hell is happening here? I was trying to figure out, is it the iPhone or is it the internet? Uh It has been more impactful than the iPhone, but the iPhone wouldn't happen, obviously, without the internet. But like, this feels like the actual like changing of ways we interact with the internet. Yeah. Maybe Web3 isn't Web3, it's AI. This is what Web3 wanted to be. (laughs) Yes, yes. That's actually what it is. I was actually thinking about this on Twitter last night. We don't need to get into an AI versus Web3. But the one thing I will say is in terms of finding a use case, every single person on Twitter seems to be using open AI. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everyone or is on a wait list for some tool. It's currently down because I'm trying to write a script in a Stephen King novel style uh, to freak my friends out. <laughs> and it's down. I haven't been able to do that. But what what do you think, Ben? Where do you kind of rank this in terms of the evolution of, you know, tech and, and humans? Where where do you put it? And like maybe round out with some of the things that you think are going to happen in the next six months, 12 months that are going to be mind-blowing for people? Yeah, well, I think, firstly, I think we can always rely on humans to have an opinion. <laughs> so <laughs> I love that. I think us all being the same and having the same products, we couldn't even force that on everyone if we wanted to with AI. I don't think we'll get there because people just wouldn't have it. And I'm sure that AI will be built and trained with that in mind. Like, it knows humans and what we do and what we don't do. Yeah, it definitely feels like a massive technology shift like cloud was or the internet like it it does feel like that and it's difficult to be writing about it and showing off other people's stuff without thinking that and just thinking this has to be what everything is like every business there is a an add-on or mm-hmm. some injection of ai that actually could make this better make the people more productive or make something happen i think i, I don't i can't even predict <laughs> yeah if I, I'd, I'd be working on it but i think the six to twelve month thing is like we're going to see a bunch of the exact same tool built over and over again. Mm-hmm. I had this, I had one yeah. idea for a storybook tool that would train on my nephew's face and would put him into a story with like dinosaurs. Oh, that's cool. That. The next day I had a conversation with someone who had the exact same idea. And then the next two days I saw four products that were exactly wow. that. Well, first of all, it gets back to our point from a previous episode here that like going to market and distribution for the AI technologies is going to be what causes them to win because the back-end differentiation currently today is low and the time to build is low. It's and low. so it, it, distribution, go-to-market knowledge is really high. And I think, Ben, just given your reaction and like how taken aback you are and, and we all are, I think it's safe to say that 
AI, as we are going to see it, is at least going to be on par with the mobile operating system in the web browser in terms of like level of impact on day-to-day user and, and human behavior. And maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's the internet. I don't know. But it seems like it's at least on par with the iPhone OS, Android, and like, you know, Chrome, Safari, all those things. Yeah, I think so. And I think in in the age of like, which image is actually real, which blog post is human generated, I think that people are going to trust people over brands. Like people aren't going to go to a brand who might have generated AI content but they might trust a person if they're writing an email or something mm-hmm. to say, this is, I wrote this. You're, you're, yeah. you're building that trust with a person. And I think if a Google or any of these other big companies come out with blog posts that seem like, hmm, what are they, are they, what are they up to over there? Is that AI generated? Like, I think there's going to be a lot of that happening. But I mean, I think AI is just a tool in everyone's tool belt that they should be excited about. It's like having Photoshop for a designer. You don't know what images are Photoshopped. You can tell some of them, but yeah. it's going to be a bit like that. And I think humans are always going to be in the loop and it's going to be a human sandwich, I suppose, <laughs> in that sense of yeah. using AI. To kind of close this out, I saw like the stupidest article yesterday, which is like how Amazon has failed with Alexa. And I was like, what are you talking about? They have created the world's best network of AI access points. Like you can say Alexa is not good enough, but are we going to be surprised if they just don't swap that over to OpenAI or whatever the best backend is? And then they just have the perfect access point for, you know, kind of verbal AI that exists. And it just, I feel like we are in this transition phase and we're all seeing the world for what it was, not the world for what it will be. Yeah. That's just humans in general, right? Yeah, it's, totally. it's difficult to see what's past. Like a new technology comes out, everyone fights it and thinks, that's just crazy. Like we're not going to be having robots in our house, cleaning our clothes and ironing bed sheets, but I hope so. Cause I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. I do love how this stuff brings out human creativity. Like some of the stuff that I've seen people use it for, I just want to end with my favorite, which is, it seems like really obscure, but this guy did, uh, he asked it to write a script about someone arguing about the future of AI, but who was secretly in love with his pumpkins. <laughs> I couldn't stop going on tangents about how much he actually loved his pumpkins. The script was just amazing. The guy's like, oh yeah, the AI future, it's going to do this and that. He goes, but you want to see the size of my pumpkins? Like they won. (laughs) And he goes, okay, coming back to AI. And like, I don't know, like it's just like coming back to like the optimistic side of this is like just unlocking people's creativity. Like there's so much creativity in people and tooling is the problem. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see is like how much cool stuff comes from people now that they can actually, you know, get to code, get to text, all these things much quicker. I think ideas and art and everything are going to get better, not worse. And we can all sit around on podcasts all day while the AI does the work. (laughs) Sounds awesome. Sign me up. Yeah great life exactly this has been awesome ben thank you so much for your time and we'll see everybody real soon on marketing instagram